We hope everybody enjoyed episode 64 with FIFA Training Centre Manager Matthew Clement. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect today. It's that that feeling you get when you're inspired or you're learning or you're enriched or you're or you've enriched somebody else. That to me is gold dust when the penny drops with you. It could be mannerism, it could be a bit of information, it could be watching someone's face learn. That to me is a gold dust moment when it just sort of clicks and it just feels right. That to me is what I would define as gold dust in, in, in my industry. We're excited to welcome Cy Copley onto today's episode of the Goldust Podcast. Cy is an academy coach at Arsenal Football Club's prestigious academy and previously worked at West Ham United and has worked with several high-profile players, including Declan Rice, Bakayo Saka and Emile Smithrow. Simon, welcome to the Goldust Podcast. Thank you. Thanks How for having you? me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Now, we always ask one question of every guest, and that is, Goldust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does Goldust mean to you? Yeah, gold, gold dust. I mean, I, I, it's hard to disagree with what you've already you've made it made it your own statement. But but gold gold dust to me, in my line of work, is I feel like learning new things, but they've got to be authentic, and you feel like you've learned it in an organic way. And and by that I mean, there's a million books, and there's a there's a there's a, there's a million coaches, and 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 coaching can be very similar, but it's that that feeling you get when you're inspired or you're learning or you're enriched or you're, or you've enriched somebody else. That to me is gold dust. When the penny drops with you, it could be mannerism. It could be a bit of information. It could be watching someone's face learn. That to me is a gold dust moment when it just sort of clicks and it just feels right. That to me is what I would define as gold dust in, in, in my industry. Sai, you have you have a wealth of experience in coaching as, as well as obviously in life, but if you had to introduce yourself to a group of parents that knew very little about you or your coaching career, what would you say about yourself? If they couldn't see me, they would I'd be telling them I'm tall, dark, and handsome, but that would they'd be disappointed when the reality come around. But I would just I would just introduce myself as someone who's 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 a who's a passionate coach that's blessed to get paid for his for his hobby that's got a lot of energy and enthusiasm and and, and drive for developing something that I grew up loving you know it's it's I think we're privileged in the positions that we're in and I and I would introduce myself as that person who just wants to share what I know and and uh and and enrich people and be enriched I want to, I want something back I want I want to feel stimulated back in learning or in in teaching um so i'd say i'd say i'm a, I'm a professional coach but i'm just a very down-to-earth normal person that wants to get as much out of the experience as i as i do in terms of giving it so the fulfillment that you're getting comes from the enrichment that you're providing yeah and 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 yeah vice versa you know seeing i mean it's not it's not uncommon for me to start off on a pathway especially coaching and midway through it, you think, actually, let's change it because I've seen a reaction in someone, or they've got they've got a reaction out of me. Could be the, the, the opposite that I've, I've got. Oh, hang on a minute, he's seeing that differently. That's great. I'll, I'll jump on that and take it a different way. 
it's having that little bit of um, not courage because football's not about being courageous. Fighting wars is about being courageous, but just having that little bit of flexibility to be able to go off on a tangent and run with something that maybe you didn't intend to start off with, you know? What we'll do, we'll explore a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit more depth shortly, but you run the largest soccer schools program in Kent. How did that all start and where did the inspiration come from, from, from setting up a soccer school? Yeah, it, it started with a friend of mine who actually had a soccer school. And I was out in the US. I was coaching out in, in North Carolina. And I, and I came I came back because of the, the visa had, had ended. And it was one of those ones where you did three months and come back and so on and so forth, you know. And it came, it came back and a, and a friend of mine already had an established soccer school. And I did something like with, with him. I had my own sort of franchise with him. And I got approached by a Chelsea football club approached me saying that they'd been monitoring what I'd been doing in my particular area. They were impressed with the number of children that were attending the, the course. Would I go and speak to them? Me being a, a loyal person, went back to my friend and said, this is the approach I've been made. This is what I'm interested in. Um, he didn't want to go down that route because he was affiliated to another club. So I then broke off and went down that route with, with Chelsea. And I kind of jumped on it at the right time, really, because it was the time that Probably actually Abramovich. That's a name that's probably in the current climate isn't isn't the, probably the right name to say. But back then, when he'd invested a lot of money into Chelsea, um, that the Chelsea brand had, had started to get a lot of interest from you know children were, were supporting Chelsea and success on the pitch. And and I, and I said to the the guys at Chelsea that approached me, they said, "Yeah, I'll I'll do it, but I'd set up an independent company of my own. I'll do it in association with them." And they said, yeah, no problem. And, and I remember them them giving us, me and my, my, it was only me and one guy to start with, they gave us um, academy coaching kit. So boys, boys academy coaching kit they gave to us. And we wore that. And then we went from two people to four to six. And I think I had four primary schools a week and a Saturday club. But the Saturday club was, was taking 100 children a week on a Saturday morning for an hour and a half. So then I had to get more staff. And, and it just sort of grew. And, and at the same time, um, the government introduced um, uh, a thing where the, the teachers had to take two hours off, off their um, uh, school time to plan and prepare lessons. So I, I tapped into that and went to school saying, well, if your teacher having two hours off, I'll come in and do the two hours and I'll do PE for it. And that grew. And then that PE club became a football club. And and I just literally went out cold calling in the in the car. And I remember taking... It's a long few years back. I remember taking like packs of biscuits and, and bottles of wine to get to get past the school receptionist to say, like, soften them up a little bit. This is bearing this is years, this is like 16, 17 years ago where you could actually get to the school gates to get to the school door. Now you have to press a buzzer to get through a gate. They see you on the camera and they don't want to know because obviously it's um, they've already got their own established things now. We just hit it at the right time. And um, packs of biscuits and bottles of wine work, apparently. It worked for us for a few years. And and I think at one point, we were up to sort of 60 primary schools a week, which is the numbers there or thereabouts now, uh, probably less than that now. But um, established schools. And it just, you know, the offshoots of that were after-school football clubs. We then did after-school uh, all-sports clubs. We then provided dance teachers. We were, we were in providing some supply teachers through sport. Yeah, it just kind of it grew and my I then went full-time at West Ham so going from full-time at West Ham to 
full time at Arsenal, I then sort of handed the reins over to to my wife and a, and a guy called Daniel White, who's a, a co-director, and they've just taken it on from strength to strength. I've I've pursued my selfish dream of being a professional football coach, if you like, and they've carried on the business and they've it continues to sort of soar to this day. So, oh, that doesn't sound too boring, but in a sort of quick nutshell, that's how it kind of grew and and that's where we are now. So, talk about your current role. Yeah. So you work at Arsenal Football Club. Can you share with us what that role looks like at the academy? Yeah, so um, I've been at Arsenal. This is my eighth season at Arsenal, almost my ninth season. And I'm the head under-13s coach. And I think I started at 11s. I went 12s, 13s, 12s again, 13s, 14s, back to 13s. I've kind of fluctuated in that early youth development phase group. And as I say, in my sort of ninth, uh, eighth to ninth year full-time there. Prior to that, I was at West Ham. Head under 15s coach, 14s coach, around those sort of age groups. And my day-to-day is ensuring that we're we're developing, you know, arguably the best 13-year-olds in the country for the benefit of of the first team and, and, and trying to address their needs and what they specifically need now for that age group. Because obviously it's very different what it looks like at 13, what it looks like to, to 16. So my role is passing those guys up the line um, better than they were yesterday and and hopefully prepared for under-14s football at the end of the season. Obviously, being an under-13s year, it's not a release or retain, retain and release year. It's they've already got two years from under-12s. So I don't have the um, I don't have that process where I have to sit in front of parents and release boys this year. I've had it before other age groups, obviously. Um, but therefore, it's important that the progress that we put into them, the hard work we put into developing them, we know that has to ride for another year with the under-14 staff. So... Um, that's the that's the current role. A lot, lot of work goes into it. Um, I have about 19 players, three goalkeepers, 16 outfield players. Um, we've got a real good scouting network at Arsenal um, that bring brings those boys in. But yeah, that's that's my day to day. Those 19 boys preparing them for another year of academy football. So some of those 19 might come onto the list of players that you've worked with in the past and have since gone on to play in the first teams. Can you share with us some of the names of the players you've coached that would be named players, people yeah, that yeah. the public yeah. will know? Yeah, I can mention those names. So currently at Arsenal, so the, the, the obvious players. So I coached Emil Smith-Rowe. Emil I coached when I first came into the club um, and we would work across the age groups. And Emil was in the 16s, I think, when I first came in. Uh, 15, 16 when I first came in. So we worked with Mill. Bakayo worked, Bakayo Sakura I worked with for a whole year. So my f- working with the 16s, I was the assistant 16s coach as well as doing my own age group. When I, Again, when I first came in, so obviously Bakayo is, is Bakayo and he's had a very successful career. There's some periphery players, boys that have played in the first team. So uh, boys like Charlie Patino, Ben Cottrell, um, boys like that that are, that are in, in and around the first team now, Charlie Patino being been a name to sort of look out for for the for the future, and and and, a, and a f- two or three others that are, are in and around the sort of um, first team. West Ham United, I coached Declan Rice. So Declan went into West Ham under 14s from Chelsea. I was his first coach for the first year. I've just had this conversation with someone actually about he was making fun. He said, "Didn't you make Declan into a midfielder?" And I said, "No." I said, "I'm not I'm not even claiming that." I just remember when he first came in, I had two really good centre-backs 
and I didn't want him to play in. The, they didn't want him to split up the centre back partnership, so I, I put him in midfield by default. And obviously, other coaches there, not me, other coaches that have since taken Declan on, guys like Mark Phillips, um, Steve Potts, guys that have been at West Ham for a few years, they've they've developed that player more than the little inkling that I had. But I do take pride in saying I was his first first coach at West Ham, and, and he's gone on to do real great things. Another player's like Ben Johnson, who plays at fullback for West Ham. A boy called Connor Coventry, um, who's made his debut for West Ham. He's now on loan at MK Dons. Um, yeah, and, and and one or two others that um, that are currently released by those clubs are now playing. Uh, Malcolm Iboi at Dar- Derby County. Luke Plange at Derby County. I think it's kind of Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. Those young players, those boys that you mentioned are now men, what inerrant qualities did they all possess? Yeah, that's that's the title of your podcast, Gold Dust, isn't it? It's, it's understanding what, what that means for each and every one. So, I mean, I've, I've got to put my hands up. I mean, you can never, no matter how much experience you've got, when no one can say he's going to make it and he's not going to make it. I think for, you might have experience, but there's so many extrinsic influences like it might be someone's family splitting up it might be illness it might just be maturation it might be injury could be schooling it's so hard to go yeah it's definitely that I'll be honest with Declan Declan had Declan was just really good at his basics he was just good at basics he, he you know he, he never set the world alight but he'd never let you down and what he did have in masses and masses was character so he was like a cheeky De- Declan was like a cheeky chap he's one of those boys that you know, a lot of 14-year-old boys do. They sort of test you a little bit, step out of line at times. But with him, it was like lovable rogue. He always had that little bit about him. And I think, you know, his family have clearly raised him so so well. And, and he having a real balanced character where he he could sort of push you up in a cheeky way, in like a, a non-offensive way. And then you would you would then, like, like Artful Dodger-esque, you know, you kind of warm to him back. And, and, and a trait for him, 100%, at that age, was his personality was was huge. His character was massive, um, and then the staff there have then since taken in the staff I've mentioned have already taken him on to develop the, the the general parts of his game. But he was just a he just worked hard on his player, very good at his basics. But his character took him over the line. You can look at people like Bakayo; it's a lot more obvious. You know, left footed player. It's 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 your eye draw you know your eye gets drawn to that a little bit more. Um, the boy can run at top speed with with the ball. I remember Trevor playing him at left back and us trying him at left wing. Uh, Trevor Bumsey was a 16s coach then um, trying him at left wing, and he had so much confidence to be able to run at people and keep the ball alive at so many sh- at, at real short. You watch him now; does the same again now. Nothing's changed. He can travel with the ball. He can change direction with it. And he just keeps the ball playable and alive at top speed over distance, changing angles. And he's very, very hard to play against. Yeah. And then again, a a player, someone like Charlie Patino, you just see, you see the quality he brings. I mean, Charlie would come to you every, we we used to have a bit of, a bit of fun with Charlie because he'd come to every train session and say, what can I do better? Or can I help you with that? Can I help you with that? Can I? What can I do, Bell? Can I help you with? And it was like it was all the time. It was like the running joke would be like if you broke down in your car, Charlie would appear from the hedge and offer to fix your tire. You know, it was like it was always it was always there. But he had he, he had that you know unerring desire to want to improve. 
But what all these boys do have is they can play football and they can play it comfortably and naturally. Um, they can understand and learn quickly. They're, whether they're playing a year up or whether they're playing a national tournament, whether they're playing a perceived weaker game, a cap three, for argument's sake, game against perceived weaker opposition. I'm not saying they are, but on paper, they would play the same all the time and they got and they were consistent. And I think that's why they are where they are because they've got that unerring focus and no distraction to, to want to improve. So being able to adjust accordingly to the situation, being Absolutely. good learners, quick learners, yep. and I mean, being very receptive uh, qualities that were consistent across all those players that you've mentioned. Correct. And one, as, as you're talking, as you're talking there, Keith, I'm just thinking on all those players I've mentioned, really good family support. I really like I'm thinking about the reviews I've done with and I, and I haven't done it with all of those those boys, but most of them and meeting the parents. Very, very supporting parents, but very balanced. So don't don't let their child believe they're a superstar. Don't disrespect or take for granted the environment they're in very grounded and very very balanced and I think you know outside of the player they're the next biggest stakeholder and they're the ones that have more influence or should have more influence than us and if you can work in partnership with good parents like that that echo the good values of our football club and the values that West Ham have at their football club then then you, you're on to a winner you know that's great advice because I think the landscape drastically and massively changed from parent expectations nowadays as opposed to you know, the low-maintenance parent as opposed to the ones that are living vicariously through the child. Mm. Now, we'll explore a little bit about that shortly, but whilst you work at one of the largest, one of the best academies in the country, in the UK... yeah. Can you share with us what the club's themes and strap lines are for the academy? Yeah, sure. So uh, we uh, structurally, we you know, my boss is is a, is a World Cup winner. So my boss is Per Mertesacker. So as you know, he's been on on your um, your Gold Dust podcast before, um, and, and he came in and him himself working with the senior management team of himself and, and Luke Hobbs and Lee Heron. Um, sort of, I wouldn't say revolutionised the academy, but gave it because that would be doing other academy managers a disservice. But gave it more structure, more identity. Um, went upstairs and presented to get a, a more access to more staff coming in. They've re restructured and re sort of branded, if you like, what the academy is. And the strap line for for what Per came up with was was to to be the most caring and most challenging academy in the world. And underpinned by that is the three values of humility, discipline and respect. Um, and, and you can apply those three values to anything in life. It's about the boys staying humble. It's about them not taking for granted where they're at. It's about them showing respect to each other, the opponent, the officials, people around the place. If you're wearing the badge, you wear it, you know, with the values. And discipline, being, being focused, but, you know, abiding by the rules and, 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 and not creating anything other than what the, the, the focus of the football club is. So the strap line is the most challenging and but caring. And then obviously underneath that would be um, humility, discipline and respect. We have a thing about our players being strong young gunners. So if you're an Arsenal Academy boy, you're a strong young gunner. 
Um, and we have four principles by which we want those boys to develop. So if you look at the word football, the word all is in football. We use the word football at Arsenal. The, the, the all part of football is in red because you can't say football without saying all, right? And all being all-encompassing, whether it's staff, parents, players, the values, it's all-encompassing. And it's a real key thing that that we kind of, not say preach, but we're all the staff and the players are really well-versed in, in this because we believe in that being, being the focus. So you've got most effective team player. So... Does the player influence the game? Does he create and score, you know, create chances? Does he deny the opponent chances? We have most efficient mover. So we have talking about would be the old sort of physical pillar, but we, we relate it in football terms. So in football terms, is, is a child physically developed enough to be able to create good actions with the ball, maintain many actions, then do that repeatedly throughout the game? So a stamina-based version, but it's all linked into football. Then we've got a lifelong learner. So are our boys committed to their own personal development? What are they like in school? Uh, do they go back and look through things like huddle or look back at the games? Do they do they engage on, on our platform such as teams and do they have dialogue with, with coaches? And the last one is champion mentality, which is, you know, driven to win, driven to improve, driven to challenge. And all those things surround the player in the middle. That's the values of the football club. So it's very specifically broken down into four pillars um, and underpinned by those values that I mentioned before. It's quite specific. You mentioned, obviously, so we had we had Per Mertesacker on, would it be, probably 18 months ago. Sure. And, and he, in his interview in the podcast, he actually talked about preparing players for the challenges of life. Correct. And a lot of what he said wasn't, it wasn't necessary. It didn't really revolve around football. It just revolved around life people. and being a good person. And, and, and yeah, it was, it was a people thing. And, and he, yeah. he, he mentioned about how people are going to suffer and that they need to go through that in order to prepare them for the challenges of life. And it was, it was great to hear that you have a World Cup winner, someone that's played at the highest level and has achieved the biggest honour in football that then talks about everything from a personal perspective and, and touches on those elements that, that you've just mentioned. I found that fascinating. Yeah, he's, if you, I mean, Per would, per would mention that he he focuses on, on all four pillars, which he does. He's, you know, he's the, he's the guy that's decided that's the way they're going to be branded. But he's, He's very big on education. So around the sort of lifelong learner, uh, the champion mentality pillars, he's really big on, like, like you say, um, David, about developing people as people first. And, you know, and, and we say in the club that even if you get released by this football club and you don't make it at the football club as a player, you should leave us with high values, with uh, a real well-rounded personality, leave us with some great you know, life skills, um, stuff that prepare you for the outside world. And even if you walk into another football club, you still take those standards and values with you. Um, it's funny because you can be entrenched in something and sometimes it's like the mind the head sign, isn't it? If you, if you, if you have that mind your head sign, there's, after a certain while, you're going to ignore it. You just know it's there. You're just, you're just functional. But we, we do have these values revisited. We do assign them to everything. We do so much work with our wellbeing team and our support staff around developing players we do do workshops around social media about equality about diversity 
there's there's not much that these boys don't get and staff and staff the same we get the same you know you know uh, workshops for us there's there's so much that is non-specifically football to help us grow and develop as people that that's what life should be about shouldn't it you know growth mindset constantly learning um wanting to wanting to expand your skill set and wanting to you know, it's good. It's good to it's good to be vulnerable at times. It's good to put your hands up and 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 show vulnerability in order to learn and attach and uh, and that and that means staff as much as anyone. We have a real real good network of staff that we can open up to each other. We can share stuff. We can challenge each other. And you ain't going to do that, or you're not going to do that if the culture isn't there in the first place. And I believe at Arsenal Football Club, the culture that we have created, with uh, staff in the past that have left their legacy. Um, People like Greg Lincoln and, and Trevor Bumstead and Ryan Gary and Paul Barrys, you know, he's been your thing before. Those guys, all the hard work they've done, um, interlinked now with people like uh, Adam Birchall and um, Adam Pillin and Max Porter and names I could go on and on and on and on. Probably annoy some people I haven't mentioned their names, but though it's characters and, and, and sincerity and, and, and people being genuine that helps Per's message be carried properly, you know? But what, what role do you play in that? Because we're going to move on to a typical training week and what it looks like for, for you and for your players. But sure. when you talk about the values and all of those things that you've just mentioned, what role do you play in that? And how do you, how do you get those messages across to the players? I mean, there's some, some obvious things. So when we're doing the sort of four reviews that we have a year, those reviews, when we share a screen, those those values are there and we, we link into all their development, linked into those values. So we will talk about their performance as an effective team player. We will talk about what they're like under champion mentality. We'll go through video clips and we'll, we'll show them things and we'll have open dialogue and a lot of stuff on off, away from the pitch on teams. You know, that what do I do for it? Those values are, are constantly there. Everything's referred back to them. It's, I think if you don't have them, you can get you can have 10 really good people with really good intentions, but the message could be delivered in a different way, can get lost a little bit. Also, I think it's healthy to have different voices and different opinions. But if you if you all buy into the common goal, which is there to develop these boys first and foremost as people, then the boys can they're children at the end of the day. They they need they need sort of a structure i think at times they have structure in school they have structure at home some of them um i think it's important that you just when you're teaching and when you're coaching you know you, you might have someone who might chase a ball down then give up and throw their arms in there you will say hey come on that's not champion mentality and you refer back to the pillar you don't want to sound like a robot it doesn't come out unnatural but you do refer back to it a fair bit because that's what that's where we're trying to point the boys to you know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. Because I think that was, I wanted to just find out how you get the message across. So those little reinforcements of champion. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one, sorry, David, talking across yeah. you. One thing I should mention is that we're big on autonomous learning, especially in our phase, early youth development phase. So 12s to 14s is that if you, if you think about where they are in terms of their biological age and where they are in their, their growth as a human being, under 12, they would have gone to a secondary school. It's their first year in a, in a secondary school. So they've gone from, you know, big fish, little pond to little fish, big pond, probably a whole new social set, 
certainly homework would have changed them, maybe going from primary school to no homework to secondary school to getting an avalanche of it. All the dynamics change. A lot of things change. Add that, add to that, you know, maturation and development in different ways. You know, boys at the end of the year are like, almost like full-grown men. Some of them are still under-maturated. Um, if you get them to own their journey, because the schools are getting them to own their journey, if you look at sets at school where they'd be put in the bottom math set or the top math set, well, these boys are in the top set of their football. They've got a common ground, but you want them to self-police it. We do a lot of stuff around. These are the rules that they've agreed with and they will pull it. I've, my boys pull each other up all the time in training around listening about respect, about um, getting the equipment in, about learning things, about their commitment and energy and aptitude. They self-police it a heck of a lot. So our messages are also re-delivered by them at times. As I mentioned, we're going to go on to a typical training week. and What does that look like for... The players, and equally, what does it look like for you? Oh, well, it's slightly changed, obviously, through COVID. Um, more so for more so for us as staff now, because the boys are starting to get their regular slot, train slots back. If I give you a typical week for all of us, so uh, Monday would be on. Um, we work from home Mondays and Fridays in our phase, where normally we would have come in Mondays and Fridays. Um, and we, we wouldn't have coached on those days, but we would come in for meetings and maybe planning and all those things that you can now do over over the you know the internet uh, via Teams or Zoom or, or what have you. So Monday would be uh, a couple of meetings in the morning, um, which would be myself and the two guys I work with in our phase. One of those guys is the line manager for the phase. So a guy called Josh Smith, young young coach, really good guy, promising guy for the future, got real good ground for someone so young already. Great guy to work with. So myself, Josh, um, and a guy called Josh Inks, who works with the under-12s, us three, we get together, talk about how the game went on Sunday, um, talk about players, talk about the performances, and then we'd then sort of relay about what we're going to work on that week, which is already periodised. We know what we're going to work on, but just, just sort of talking football, really, what that looks like. And then you might have a few more meetings on a Monday. Um, that take you out throughout the course of the day. And it could be anything from a, a player progress meeting monthly to review meeting. It could be me contacting my analyst to discuss what I'd like for Thursday's analyst session. It might be me contacting my strength and conditioning coach to talk about what we're looking at and working on. But Monday is a, is a, is a meetings day and none of our players in FA is trained on a Monday. So Tuesday is, I'm in about half past nine. I take my children to school go straight into work. I'm in about half past nine. Uh, Tuesday morning at my desk, planning, preparing the week's sessions, um, looking at who's fit, who's not, looking at who's modified, who's not, looking at the boys in the year below who might come up and train up, looking at whom, whom I might push up to train in the age group above. Um, and then we would, I would have an MDT meeting on Tuesday. So my MDT meeting is uh, myself as the, as the head coach, I would then have my strength and conditioning coach, someone from medical to talk about the, the players' fitness levels, who's unmodified, who's injured, who's okay, who's returning to play. Uh, my analyst, and we'll talk about what I want from him to prepare in terms of clipping from the game ready for Thursday. Um, kit man will come on, someone from uh, travel will come on if we need someone from travel. Head of education comes on. It's the multidisciplinary team. And we literally... I, I present about how the boys did at the weekend. And then I just go around the room by picking up their faces and saying, okay, well, you chat, you chat. 
and they will say, and they will just talk from their department something specific. So, for example, head of education might say along the lines of that he's got school reports in for these three boys. They're on track. They're doing well. Or this boy is struggling. Or keep an eye on this boy. Uh, and we go through all the teams, the disciplinary that Tuesday um, evening. Sorry, Tuesday afternoon. I will work with I will work with the under 16s, under 15s, under 16s in training. We train from three to four thirty. They'll come in. I'll then stay out and and set up ready for my players to come in at five thirty, and I'll train through to seven thirty, and then I'll we dismiss the boys. I'll get showered, jump in the car, come home, just in time to see my kids go to bed and. My wife tell me that all the things I should have done, but I'm not there to do because I've been working. Wednesday, I'll get a day off, which is fantastic. So, you know, just try and switch off from work as much as I can. Probably still get about 10 phone calls and 10 messages to deal with. Thursday Thursday is quite a good day because we're coming early and we have day release for the under-13s, 14s and the 12s. And we normally put the 13s and 14s together and we work on their unit work. So defenders together, midfielders together, attackers together. We'll do about 45 minutes of that and then we'll bring them all together and we'll put them in like a tournament environment. We've incentivising um, winning teams so we get a little bit of intensity up because a Thursday is more of an intense day anyway. Tuesday is a bit more technical. Thursday we do a bit more speed work, a bit more dual training, get a bit more um, competitive edge out of the training session. And they'll do that till 4.30. Then they'll come in, they'll have a snack. We'll then do a gym session, analysis session, 45 minutes each. And then we're back outside for our second training session of the evening, just in their individual age groups. Friday will be back at home again, working from home, planning, preparing for the weekend. Thursday afternoon, sorry, Thursday lunchtime, we have a big squad planning meeting. The whole club gets together and we share squads of who's playing when, who we're playing. The whole uh, academy comes on to share that from 9s to 16s. And we talk through our squads, head of coaching's on that, um, head of operations is on that, so we all know who's where. And then Saturday morning, we'll train for two hours in terms of match prep, ready for the game the next day. Um, sometimes Saturday afternoon, we might put a game on for boys that may not get as regular minutes on the Sunday. And then on the Sunday, we'll play against Chelsea away or Tottenham at home or, or whatever Sunday morning. And that, I hope I haven't worn you out, but that's a typical week for us. Lots of detail working in one of the elite academies. When players in your specific phase, your group, are moving into the next phase of their development, what would be the typical behavioural and performance traits that you would expect them to possess? I think um, without repeating too much about the values, obviously they're all entrenched in that. That's their common ground. So when they when they move up, I think you've got to remember what, what you're moving up is is a a boy that's very different to what you inherited. So a year's worth of coaching, training, schooling, parenting, certainly maturation, certainly growth related injuries, whether it's Osgoods or Severs or, or, or whatever, whatever else. Um, but you are expecting them to take all the values up with them. Then in terms of performance, if you're looking at it from a tactical perspective in our phase, 12s going into 13s would have gone from a half year of 9v9, half year of 11v11, and then come into, into our phase. Um, and that under 12 year, that's, that's a really good year to teach because of, there's loads of changes that are going on. But you tend to get a really disciplined group because those changes have made them realign their focus. And you do tend to get some real, I mean, some, some excellent footballers, but you get a lot of 
eyes on you and they're keen to learn because that's the common ground elsewhere. Obviously, tactical learning into 11 v 11 football. So when they come up, they would have come up from playing 9v9, which would be like a back four and a midfield diamond. So we don't play with wingers. We play with wing backs. Under 11 prior to that, it's like a 3-2-3. Three, three. So they're learning more about playing as a, as a pair in the middle of the park. But when they come up to 9v9 under, under 12s, they will literally play with um, a four, two tens, or a ten and an eight and a nine, and then a, like a back four, like a horseshoe. So the wing, the wing backs learn how to play as wing backs. When you're adding two players in the under latter part of under twelves, early part of under thirteens, you're adding in two wingers. So now your wing backs learn to play with bodies in front, or they learn to play with bodies behind. They've got relationships inside to the tens in those little triangular positions. The nines tend to run more centrally now because they've the wide areas have been inhabited by sevens and elevens and so on and so forth. And then when they go up to under 14s, the 11 v 11 football is there, but you go from point backwards to point forwards. So you're playing with a holding two. You play with two fours and a 10 as opposed to playing with a four and two tens and so on and so forth. So tactically, there's some permutations there to try and get the best learning for the boys at that time. Now you can, there is some flexibility. You can change formation, but, but you'd only do that for purpose. It wouldn't be done because you want to, yeah, that's what you believe that should be done. The club want you to play in that formation, 4 3 3. But there is some, there are some moments in competitions where you've got license to move it around if it's justified to benefit in that particular game. And then when they go into 15s, obviously they're working more on set pieces, working more where the unit's linking a little bit better. And 16s is, is almost a sort of developed game. Obviously, with that, pitches get bigger. Boys are maturing slightly differently. You've got boys that can't cover ground on bigger pitches. You've got boys that have been crying out for bigger pitches because they can open up and, and what, what have you. But And then the final bit would be just for character. I believe it would be a reflection on me if I pass up to Josh, the next coach up, boys that don't have discipline, humility and respect. I've got to pass them up with the right values as well. I've got a a curveball, but I'm going to throw one at you now, and I'm sure it's a question <laughs> that that a lot of people, a lot of listeners would be interested to to maybe get a little bit of guidance on. How would you how would you best deal with a parent, a guardian, who is constantly shouting out tactical advice, technical advice to the son during training or games? Okay. It's, so, so firstly, we have stewards, believe it or not. We have stewards at our games and training and the stewards are, it's not their job, but they are versed to make sure that that doesn't happen very often, especially during games where it could cause whatever. But not not all of them do that, one or two do. If I, the, the parents are aware because we, we do everything through the players in, in our phase. So we do all the communication through the players they, they're aware that they're driving the learning. If I felt that there was a parent that was being too influential in a good or a bad way, just by constantly shouting at, especially in training, I'd get my assistants to take training. I'd walk over there and ask them for a word, private word. I'd walk, walk away to one side and I'd make it clear that he's not there to shout anything out. He's there to let his son make the decisions. By shouting out, you're detracting him from our voices, from his own decision-making processes you're actually um, hijacking what he's thinking, really, because he's hearing your voice. He's used to your voice. So I'd pull the parent to one side and ask him not, not to do it again. If it was a persistent thing, we'd call him in for a meeting. I'd get someone from the wellbeing team and we'd ask them how we can help them. 
how can we help you? Because clearly you feel we need to shout out, how can we help you? And you put the spotlight back on the parent. It's almost, it's not, I don't say it's a shameful thing, but it's like it's showing up that their, it's their action that's the problem, not what they perceive their child needs to know. It's their uh, intrusion, if you like. Now, don't get me wrong, we want parents to encourage, and during games it's nice for them to clap and cheer and say those things. But if it's a tactical information or it's a, if it's a judgment thing from the sideline, I would just take full control of that and speak to the parent directly and shut that down. We do have, from our people's team, we do have workshops on what an academy parent looks like. Um, and we do run those regularly. We have that buy-in before they sign as much as we do during mid-season. So the people's team, the wellbeing team are great at that. Got some real good staff there. Uh, Chris and Michael do a, do a great job there. Alex did it before. They're really good at engaging with parents. So those situations don't happen very often. That, they do once or twice because you can't, you know, you can't help people's personalities at times and some do get a little bit carried away. But um, equally, if you're consistent in your message as a staff member and you're consistent in your message to that player throughout the year, there should be no reason for a knee-jerk reaction from a parent to react in a certain way if you're open and honest and upfront from, from the outset. But all those things I've mentioned, I believe, keep our parents as quiet as or supportive as possible. Which is nice to know because parents are parents and they want the best for the son or daughter. But from a coaching perspective, to help players improve their understanding of the game, what aspects of the game do we as coaches need to spend more time developing? See, I have this saying that you have, I've got 19 players in my team. I think I've got a duty of care to understand those 19 players as people and understand them intimately. And I mean that in the correct sense of the word, because that word can be misconstrued. Intimately, as in, I should know where they live. I should know what their parents, what their parents' support looks like. I should know whether or not parents are separated or there's uh, any influences from families that might make their lives different or difficult or or not as not as linear as maybe others. I should have a duty of care to understand the social dynamic in the group. And and I think it's important to, within that social dynamic, as much as you might partner up boys in certain exercises or you you might challenge others, I think it's quite healthy to to a bit like uh, David said, throw a curveball in and set a different challenge up between different boys to get there, see how they work. And I just think if you're the, the commodity is the child, you're working with a child. You're not working with a footballer. You're not working with a with an adult. You're working with a child first. And if you understand what makes them tick, what makes them learn, um, and you go you go above and beyond to get that right, then teaching them becomes the secondary bit. You know, it's it's like trying to swim with lead boots on. You got to understand that lead boots don't work in water, right? So what's the point of jumping in? Take them off, then jump in and get to understand it. That you know, it's probably the worst analogy on the planet, but you just get to know people, get to understand and feel what people how they tick and what makes them work, and do as much research on them as you can so that you know that you're giving them everything. And then the football comes second. In terms of a, a practice now, from yeah. your toolbox of, of coaching strategies, what do you feel every effective practice, regardless of what sport it is, contain? Oh, what a question that is. I mean, practice is... Everyone will have a different answer to this, won't they? Because 
it's like the session assassin that stands and watches and says, "Why is he doing that? And why is he not? Why hasn't he done that? What you know, your 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 purpose is there to get out a point." I just think practice has got to be authentic. So your delivery has got to be authentic. I think first and foremost, it's got to it's got to relate to the game. Now, I, like some people have a people have a will have a concern over using. Some people say never use mannequins. Some people say you should use mannequins. There's question marks over directional non-directional practices. Going back to my point about understanding people and being authentic and sincere. Every practice, the child or the participant should know. What you're setting up is there to meet the objective that you've set out in the first place. It's got to be realistic and attainable and achievable for the group you're working with to hit that objective. And equally within that, if it isn't quite going right or you think you need to change it, you need to be able to have that flexibility and ability to show being a little bit vulnerable to go, fellas, we're going to stop this. We're going to change it. I don't think it's working. Do you think so? And the boy, nah. Let's change it. What do you reckon? And then and then get some buy-ins from people. Let's change it to that. Now you might have preempted that already, but I think you just every every practice should have the the participant at its source. It should be realistic, achievable, attainable. If it isn't, put your hand up and say, I don't think we're getting there. Let's let's try and be comfortable enough to tweak it and change it until you might hit a different part. It might take a little dip, different part of it off, and then go gradually bit by bit. But I mean, it's such a subjective question, isn't it? What What do you think should be in it? Just think it should feel and taste real and achievable and everyone feels they're part of it. Like, what's that like, for example, it, with, with social media, I must admit, I'll get, it does my head in when someone will stick on Twitter. This is the, it will say something like the, the Mourinho Chelsea 4v4 session. And it's just some counters. And I'm thinking... He's got it from somewhere else, and blah. You don't need to label it. It doesn't need. To, I mean, that, that attracts the eye. Oh, Mourinho does it, but I also think I oh, believe in what you're doing. But believe in what you're doing. If you can justify it, and there's there's reasoning and logic behind it, and the boys are benefiting from it, go and do it. Go and you know. I'm, I have to obviously work within parameters of what the football club want, but there's a load of freedom for me to decide how I get there. Just go go and try. It doesn't need to have. Real Madrid's so-and-so session attached to it. Go and believe in what you want to do, you know. it's uh, And equally, you don't need to be a chin rubber of a coach that's standing there looking like that just because you feel what it looks like for you. It shouldn't be about you. It should be about what they want. And, you know, Paul Barry's a prime example of someone that just gets it when it comes to children, just gets it, that age group, feels it, senses it, and delivers it for their sake and, and for, for being authentic. You know, just... Don't try and be something that you social media thinks you should be. Just be you and be organic and have fun with it. I went off on a tangent then, but I know what I meant. <laughs> well, no, we're loving it. Uh, Paul Barry, of course, former Arsenal, worked in the foundation phase, now works at Crystal Palace, author of three books. I think there are more books coming out. Very, very good for, for, for those coming out. So it's nice that you mentioned Paul here as well. Now, I'm going to throw another little curveball in there, an anger and aid. From player or coach development context, what is one question you wish you were asked more frequently? What the players asked of me? Yeah, Easy. or even... Easy. Easy. How are Go you? On. Really? How, how are you? 
that's what I would like to be asked. How that's easy because we go to Why? the players. How many times you guys work in football, right? How many times you say, you say to your boys, you're Tommy, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy, you're right. He goes, uh, or yes, thanks. And the one or two little gems that go, fine, thank you. How are you? You go, ah, oh, thanks. I'm all right. Thanks for asking. It's a, it's a simple little thing, but I think it gets it, it shows connection and it shows that you've got that what I said to you earlier about age understanding people's minds just resonates with me. Oh, yeah, just that how like how are you? You get boys come and say, How can I be better? And I think that question, I have to be honest, depends on who the boy is. Sometimes you know, the boy's being prepped to come and ask that question, maybe by a parent or, you know, and then you give the answer and then you you are a, you gauge in the child's reaction to your answer whether or not they genuinely want to know that or it's almost automated. So that question comes up a fair bit. But, you know, they, you should, they say about mental health with coaches to coaches and a lot of people do struggle with it. You should ask someone twice, shouldn't you? How are you? Fine. And you say, no, no, how are you? And you might get a different answer the next time round. I think from coach to coach, asking someone how they are, you'll get the best coach in the world if you make that coach feel like himself first and make him feel like a person first. And it's the same with the players. And if an 11, 12, 13-year-old boy can ask me how I am, it's a powerful thing. I love it. That's a, It's actually a pet peeve of mine. When you ask somebody how they're doing and then they just come back with a... Yeah. And they'll just and walk past you. answer. Because I think yeah. it's important that I think it's a life skill that it's not just about you. You've got to be aware of other people and, and aware Correct. of look, someone's got the time to ask you a question. You should have enough time to answer the question with purpose, but also reciprocate what's going on. And I find I'll be honest, I find that with, with adults now. I feel like adults. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Do you know what? In football, there's so many people in football that I know, and we have a bit of fun about it. Arsenal, they go, "How are you? You well?" And then they walk off. You, if you turn around and said, "Actually, no, my whole family were eaten by lions at the weekend," they would just nod and go, "Okay, great," because they're not listening to what you're saying. They're not interested in what your reply is. It's just an automated, "How are you? You're all right." Actually, find out the answer. Find out the answer, and, and then. Take in. I did something with um, Royal Marines. I did, did a, an ECAS uh, degree qualification a couple of years ago, and there was a thing called the fight. It was a five negotiation steps, um, and it was and the guy, the Royal Marine commander that come and presented. So he was he was actually a hostage negotiator in the Royal Marines. Really interesting guy, and he said uh, this these five steps. He said they will get you a hostage out of a really serious situation they'll also get you the remote control off your wife in the front room it was like he made quite light of it and he said one thing was he said was to was when you're being empathetic towards someone is to repeat what they say so david if i said to you now how are you and you went oh, i'm not feeling feeling that great because i've had a row with my wife or something if i then turn around and say what you're feeling pretty rubbish what's, what because something to do with your wife what's happened the fact that i repeated what you said knows that you know that i've heard you and it's just those little things when you're repeating things, those little gems that prick people's ears up. People remember, my, if someone says to my child, I say, well, how are you? Or my daughter, hi, come in, how are you? Whether it's at their football or whether it's at horse riding, 
the fact that that person's remember my child's name as an adult makes me feel comfortable because they've bothered to remember it. And it's those little bits, they're authentic and that, that give you connections. And without connections, you're not going to get the best out of people. We we talk about that in in the book as well. We about pacing before you lead, where it's you either you you can paraphrase something, repeat it back. You basically like you've just said, you repeat yeah. what they've said. Yeah, it can encourage them to actually talk more about what it is you've just repeated to them. But like you said, it it shows that you've listened. Yeah, hundred percent. And also, that's that could be the first time they've heard it, not in their own voice. Which is powerful. The one thing that keeps cropping up here, Si, is are we, yeah, how we interact with players and vice versa. And, but so we are more flexible in our behaviours as a coach to actually get the best from, if you like, the recipient, which is which is usually usually important. Otherwise, you and I and David, we, we wouldn't have a job. No. So it's it's lovely to hear you know, these feelings that we have around the players because there's a lot more around coaching than just a pig's bladder that gets kicked around. It's a lot more deeper for us to get the best from them. We need to do something else to work harder at it as well. Mm. Agreed. Final question for you, Sai. If you had yep. to write a list that would help coaches develop a greater understanding of player development, what would be on that list? What, what wouldn't be on that list might be a better, better way of asking that question. Um, what would be on that list if you're going to write uh, a list around player development on the list? Share the objectives, whether that be from an autonomous perspective so the boys own it. Make sure you visit the outcomes during the practice. So if the outcome, if you if you set up a practice and you're trying to you're trying to get an outcome from it, say for example you're working on a third man run. So from create the attack into finish the attack, you want to get into the top third of the pitch and you're working on on a, on a third man run. If every time that you, whether you're coaching the break or you're you know coaching on the on the fly, so when they're doing it you're you're coaching or whether you're asking the question, how often do you actually realign the your comments to the objective. And I'm not saying the coaches, some coaches don't do that, but I know for a fact that it's something that when I've worked on it, I see the learning comes for myself. I see the learning comes differently. So constantly refer to the objective. So the child knows why he's there. So if he understands the why he'll, he'll do it. If you're just concentrating on that particular aspect without referring to the why, then you may not, you may just get locked in that technical part of the coaching as opposed to, the reason why he does stuff. So I would, I would refer to the objective, refer to the outcomes in in practice, make it fun, ask yourself the question: Would you want to be coached by you? It's a powerful question. Would you want to be coached by you? I'd no, I'd love to be coached by me. I think if you you know you, would you want to be in it? Would, how many sessions do we do? And you and, and you think oh, I'd love to play in this, or when I, I did this one when I was younger, or my coach used to do this. Can you try and hit your objectives in a fun and fulfilled way? And on that list, I'll put, if it isn't working, be brave enough to put your hands up and say, change it and show the boys that vulnerability to be able to change it. If it is working, celebrate it. 
praise the boys. Boys love, boys love nothing more than, a, hey, well done, Tommy, fantastic. I like the way you did that. And, you know, be really authentic and, and just be honest and have fun with it. So, uh, on behalf of, of my dad and I, we just want to thank you for coming on today. It's been really enlightening. And I, like my dad mentioned, and even in that last bit, yes, it's football, of course it is, and it, it revolves around the ball, but the vast majority of what you've spoke about doesn't actually revolve around... It, it, it's not the ball, it's everything in between. It's all the, yeah. the things about character and personality and how you treat people, how you make them feel. So just lovely to hear that kind of stuff. And again, we just want to thank you for coming on. It's been been goldust. So we appreciate it. And I'm sure the uh, the listeners and the audience will have done too. Well, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on. And um, and, I, and I've enjoyed the experience as well. So I, I've I've learned from you guys today uh, as much as as, the, as sharing my, my stuff with you. So appreciate the opportunity. And um, thanks very much. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.